everybody, and welcome to What's in Your Hometown, where we talk about the dirty little secrets in your backyard. Thank you, as always, for joining us. My name is Julia. This is Sam. Hi, Sam. <laughs> Hi, Sam. <laughs> uh, okay, anyway, thank you so much for being patient with us, because this episode was delayed so badly. It was the holidays, and then we were sick, and then yeah, I got we're the still flu. sick, but... I got the flu for the first time since I was like a child. Yeah, no. I did not the... handle it any better than I did when I was a child. No, you got the actual flu. And I, mm. oh God, I feel so bad for you. It's terrible. It was, it was really awful. Like I, I hardly ever get a fever and it was just fever. I was just a fever. I was a big ball of fever and it was awful. Ugh. But you, you managed to stay somewhat healthy. Sort Which of. is new for us. Right? <laughs> I didn't get, like, deathly ill over Thanksgiving, so that's nice. Oh, so, yeah, the holiday season. Thank you guys for sticking with us through the holiday season. It was hectic for us, and then we got sick, so, of course, we missed an update. Or we missed a new episode. But we're back. We're happy to be back. Um, we are mm-hmm. probably going to skip another uh, episode for Christmas. We hope that everybody understands, but we will be back uh, with the new year, um, ready to go. Tell them about the network, Julia. Oh, okay. So we are part of the Civilized Creatures Entertainment Network, and we are part of the network with some really fantastic shows like Drinks with Larry and Married AF and the Cinemundo podcast. I just listened to one of their episodes, and they consistently do an amazing job. I really do recommend them. If you like movies, or if you're like me, who doesn't like movies and just wants someone to tell you about a movie. <laughs> I've stepped into that role as your friend. You have. It's so wonderful. I finally have someone to spoil things for me. I love this dynamic because I love spoiling things and you love having things spoiled. I do. We're perfect for each other. It's wonderful. We are. Yeah, Soulmates. But, <laughs> but no, they're just, they constantly do just an amazing job. Um, and then Picks and Bones is also there, and they are God, Picks and just Bones so good. They're so good. Eric does an amazing job with his mm-hmm. interviews for things, and he's got a couple awesome projects going on right now. So go ahead and check him out. And you know, we just, we have so many cool network shows. You can find us all on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We have network shows every so often where we go and do like a game night. If you like us, you'll like them. We have something for everybody, really. So We do. We have It's a channel for everybody. You'll find something that you enjoy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Heads or tails? Um, I'll choose heads. Okay. I'll be tails. Ready? Yep. Ooh, tails. Ooh, okay. Regale me. I am going to regale you with the story... Uh, this one's a little different than what we normally do. I think that's kind of interesting, but I'm going to talk about Audrey Marie Hilly. Okay. Um, she is sort of a black widow kind of a murderess. The um, best kind. Right? And she has, honestly, she does have a pretty interesting story. So she was born in Alabama in 1933 at the height of the Depression. Poor girl. So... Starting off, not the right foot. <laughs> Just going to take a wild guess on that one. Some rough waters. Yep. Um, she had a fairly normal childhood from what I was able to pick up. 
I couldn't find anything that suggested like horrible trauma. Um, I did find another podcast that did a wonderful episode on her, but I wasn't able to independently corroborate what they said just Mm. because I didn't have the time to (laughs) do as deep of a dive as they did. You had to hang so many Christmas decorations today. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't decorated for Christmas in 10 years. And all of a sudden my mom's like, hey, you know what we need? Christmas wreaths. I'm like, hey, you know what we haven't had in 28 years that I've been alive? Christmas wreaths. What are you doing? (sighs) Anyway. It's a new decade. Yeah. (laughs) New Um, decade. But anyway, they did really a fantastic episode, and it's True Crime Brewery. So go ahead and check them out if you want, like, a more detailed her life pre-murder and, like, pre-real press documentation. Okay. Um, but I'm here for murder, so... Um, she married Frank Hilly when she was 18 and not yet out of high school, and they had two children together. Her first son was named Mike, and then eight years later she had a daughter named Carol. Um, and from all accounts, she she didn't like Carol. She just didn't. She Aww. was not a huge fan of child number two. <laughs> Who is? <laughs> really? That's so bad. <laughs> all right. Anyway, they had a pretty normal life. Frank had a good job. Audrey worked part-time as a secretary, and that was something that she had really strived for. Um, Unfortunately, she had a spending problem. Oh, no. And I don't know if it was from growing up when she did and how she did, or if it was because, like, her parents would give her gifts instead of attention, and so she just Mm -hmm. wanted things. Like, I have no idea. Um, But she wanted money and she wanted things. And she spent more than what she and Frank earned combined. Just on like nice clothes and fancy things and just just child number one. Child number one. Not so much on Carol. Um, And she would frequently turn to screwing her bosses to get more money well that's one way to do it i would say so it was pretty effective oh, um, i'd say yeah uh it kept frank I'm, in the I'm dark about impressed. their right <laughs> you you do you this you was before you. like the feminist movement and women's empowerment and all that like you're blazing your own trail you do you sure um <laughs> And this was enough to keep Frank largely in the dark about their financial trouble. So it was a substantial amount of money because she didn't stop spending it. She just made more. (laughs) And it wasn't like Frank didn't know. He had walked in on her a couple of times. (gasps) Like he had caught her with her bosses. And he didn't feel like he was able to divorce her and she didn't want to divorce him. Because, you know, divorce. If she's the 60s. Also, she's, like, spinning beyond both of them. She's definitely not going to be able to keep herself up. Exactly. But all in all, things weren't fantastic with their marriage. Wonder well, no. why. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what a mystery. <laughs> and they weren't going to get better 
anytime soon. So, our story begins to unfold in 1975. Oh. Um, Frank, after coming home with a stomach ache, catches his wife in bed with her boss, and things kind of start to not go so well. And Frank starts to get more stomach aches, and he starts to complain of nausea and tenderness in his abdomen, and uh, he was diagnosed with a stomach bug. But okay. it was a lingering stomach bug, and it, it didn't go away, and it continued to get worse. Um, he was eventually diagnosed with hepatitis. Oh, no. He continued to deteriorate, and he wouldn't get better, and he couldn't get better, and he got delirious, and he couldn't understand what was happening to him, and he tried to jump out a window sometimes, and uh, okay. eventually he just got, you know, you have that delirium thing that comes with... Hepatitis? Poisoning. And... <laughs> yes, with hepatitis. With uh, arsenic-labeled um, hepatitis? Yes. <laughs> um... Anyway, he started to seek treatment for this really in May of 1975. After his diagnosis, he began treatment, but his liver and kidneys were failing, and there was nothing that the doctors could do by the time that he got there. He passed away early in the morning on May 25th, a little bit less than a month after he initially showed up to the doctor. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, once so, your kidneys go, it's, it's really hard to get you back on track. It really is. And especially, like, I don't know when dialysis got to be a thing, mm -hmm. like a, a reliable routine thing that you went and you did three times a week and all that. I don't know if that was 1975-ish. But if it wasn't, you know, you just... your kidneys are gone. So are you. <laughs> um, anyway, because he died so quickly, the hospital wanted to perform an autopsy on him. Because hepatitis doesn't generally tend to be that acute. Yeah. Um, it, it tends to take a while, and you don't tend to die within the same month that you show up seeking treatment. Yeah. His wife consented to the autopsy. <gasps> uh, she was all gung-ho about it, and they never tested him for poison. Why would they when she was like, yeah, do an autopsy. Go for it. Exactly. Go for it. Seems like a great idea. Um, his symptoms were consistent enough with infectious hepatitis that they just sort of wrote that down as a natural death and didn't look into it any further. She was able to collect a $31,000 life insurance policy on him. Not a lot. Well, that's $31,000 in 1975. That's so true. today, that would be worth about $150,000. Okay, that's a lot, yeah. That's a lot. Anything more than my student loans, I consider a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> Anything below my student loans, I'm like, oh, that's not nothing. That's, that's not enough. <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, I hate that that's like the general measurement <laughs> for anyone our age, but you know what? That's fine. Is it? <laughs> no. Someone will fix it eventually, or they won't, uh. and we'll all die in debt. It's fine. So anyway, uh, Marie, because she went by Marie instead of Audrey, um, she blew through that insurance policy. Yeah. 
because of course she was still spending more than both of their combined incomes and she didn't have his income anymore she made sure of that so she needed somebody quick (laughs) um at this point she started leeching off of other family members mainly her mother her mother-in-law and her son with his wife oh man um over the course of about three years both her mother and her mother-in-law became ill And they started complaining of many of the same symptoms that Frank had. Both of them died without a formal investigation and without any charges being filed against Marie. But the investigators later found that they had significant but not fatal levels of arsenic in their system. So she was definitely poisoning them. When you started off this whole thing as we're going to talk about a black widow, I did not expect her to just like murder the husband and then go on to the rest of the family (laughs) this is going to be a string of husbands no it's not it's not quite a string of husbands like adam's family style (laughs) Mm -hmm. her son and his wife also fell very ill uh when they lived with her and mike's wife suffered a miscarriage and ended up in the emergency room four different times four times and they like they didn't, didn't look into her. <gasps> didn't, no. Didn't check it out. Didn't think it was weird. Nothing. No clue why. Just nothing. Just nothing. Um. They miraculously got better once they moved away. Yeah. I wonder why. It must be something in the air. <laughs> <laughs> the water was a little fresher. Maybe they have a mold problem. You never know. Mold does weird <laughs> things to people. Um. Anyway, by far the worst. He gives them arsenic. (laughs) (laughs) That day of mold. Uh, Anyway, by far the worst of these poisonings was her daughter Carol. Um, Mm. Marie, about three years after Frank's death, took out a twenty-five thousand dollar life insurance policy on Carol, and that took effect in August of nineteen seventy-eight. So within a couple of months. Carol started experiencing trouble with nausea and had to go to the ER and had nerve damage and had... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, Nerve damage. I wouldn't have suspected that. Yeah. No, you have to get really far into arsenic poisoning before it gives you nerve damage. Like, just... At that point, just, like, give, like, a lot of... Quit giving, like, little baby spoonfuls of arsenic. Like, I am suffering. Finish me off. (laughs) (laughs) Right? She continued to poison her daughter for a year after the insurance policy became effective. Um, And eventually, I guess going on your theory, like, finish me off, Marie started to give Carol injections which Marie said would make her daughter feel better and help with the nausea, and she said that she got them off of a friend who was a nurse but would definitely lose her job if she anyone knew anyone knew that she was prescribing medication to someone who wasn't her patient, so that we had to be really secretive about these injections. Oh my gosh. So of course the symptoms got worse, and Carol began to experience numbness in her extremities, and... Um, she had severe nerve palsy causing foot drop and had lost most of her deep tendon reflexes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, eventually she had to be admitted to a hospital for tests. And when Marie asked a doctor why Carol was sick, she said that she 
the doctor said that he had suspected heavy metal poisoning. Oh, well, you're on the right track. Oh, yeah. Uh, Marie had Carol discharged that afternoon. Oh, no. And the doctors all agreed that uh, Carol was in worse shape when she was discharged than when she got to the hospital. Oh, no. Uh, So Carol didn't stay out of the hospital for very long. The next day, she was admitted to a different hospital and was only able to stay there because Marie was arrested for passing bad checks to Carol's life insurance company. Oh, no. What? Mm -hmm. That's a twist. Isn't it? So, uh... The doctors at the new hospital took one look at Carol and went, hmm, heavy metal poisoning. Maybe we should look into that. Uh, They found that her symptoms were a perfect fit for arsenic poisoning, and she had everything down to the Aldridge Me lines across her toenails and fingernails, which are those, like, white lines that run sort of parallel. white lines. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Very characteristic of arsenic poisoning. And they decided to run some tests uh, on her hair. Because, you know, your hair is basically a timeline of when heavy metal gets introduced to your system. Well, with a lot of things, too. Hair, like your follicles, because they grow straight out from your head. It's always alive. Like, we'll Mm -hmm. do a timeline for, like, different drugs and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Basically, yeah. So the test confirmed arsenic. And they discovered arsenic levels ranging from zero times the average... Uh, at the tips of her hair to 100 times the average close to the root of her hair. Oh my gosh. Holy Uh, shit. Yeah, the same day that these test results came back, they decided to exhume Frank and run some tests on him. (laughs) Because, really, you should at this point. And, um, you know, he he came back with uh, about 100 times the normal level of arsenic. Yeah. Um, Frank's cause of death was changed to acute poisoning, and it was noted that Frank had suffered from chronic arsenic poisoning for months prior to his death. Oh, my gosh. So Marie was arrested pretty quickly and Mm -hmm. charged with Carol's attempted murder. Okay. Nothing on Frank yet. Frank's murder? They just hadn't gotten to it yet. They needed to finish collecting evidence and make sure that the... That would stick as a... Yeah, get her behind bars before you... Yeah. Yeah. Um, So she was arrested. She appeared in front of a judge. She was released on bond. What? On November 9th, 1979. And she registered at a local motel under a pseudonym. Oh, my God. Okay. And apparently, nobody thought that it was a good idea to keep tabs on this woman. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, because sometime, no one knows when, between the 9th and the 18th, she disappeared. Oh, my God. Gone. Poof to the wind. Not this to be seen again. For your years. murder suspect. This is a murder suspect. Keep track of That is of willing them. to kill her family. Mm-hmm. Maybe don't put her outside on bond. Maybe don't do that. Or at least, at the very least, make sure she's still at the fucking motel. (laughs) I feel like maybe make sure that she registers under her own name. Her own name. Make a paper trail someplace. (laughs) Any any minimal step that you can do. Oh, my God. Just the tiniest step. 
There was a note that she left behind that indicated that she might have been kidnapped, but she was listed as a fugitive. No one believed it. <laughs> she might have been kidnapped. Who wants to kidnap the poisoner? She, quote, might have been kidnapped. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. So, despite a massive manhunt and cooperation from local and state authorities, as well as the FBI, she remained on the loose for a little over three years. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm sort of impressed. Yeah. No, it's okay. It gets real dumb after this. So. Oh, okay. Um, just pack that impression back up in its box. <laughs> yeah. Just, just shove that deep, deep down into that hole where you keep all the rest of your emotions and ignore it for a while. I could do that. Okay. Um, while she was out, she traveled to Florida and met and married a name named John Homan. Oh, no. She got married to another human being legally with a fake identity. <laughs> the legally part's what gets me. She went to a court and filled out paperwork. How big were her balls? <laughs> <laughs> to like, as, like, you know that you've killed, that you've tried to poison your mother-in-law, your mother, you, your son and his wife. You know that you were brought in because they figured out you were poisoning your daughter and they were exhuming your husband, your, well, your ex-husband, I guess, at that point, because he was dead. And then you decide to walk into a fucking courthouse. Right? Ah, the balls. Okay. All right. Let me... Let me explain to you how she one-ups herself. So during this time, she was going by the name Robbie and had a fake identical twin named Terry. Why the twin? I don't know. She just decided to have a twin somewhere along the way. I mean, Comes in handy can, later. why not? Sure. Um, but she and her husband, Mary, and they moved to New Hampshire from Florida, which is kind of an upgrade. Uh... A little bit of a trade-off. But I mean, anywhere from Florida is, is pretty much an upgrade. Kind of. <laughs> um, sometime during the summer of 1982, she planned a trip to Texas, and she told her new husband that she needed to go and attend to some family business. Oh, also, she was very sick and needed to go see a doctor there, but he can't come with her. This is something she has to do on her own. All right, girl power. And- And he buys this. And while she was on this trip, she died and then uh, lost some weight, dyed her hair, and came back to her husband posing as the twin sister. (gasps) No. Moves in with this man, pretending to be the twin sister, and he doesn't catch on. Men. I know y'all are not observant. Like, I know. Like, listen, I I can't tell when somebody's had a haircut either. But this is the same woman. This is your wife. This is the woman that you married. You've spent money on an engagement ring. If I spend money on you, I know your face. (laughs) That's my criteria. Okay, anyway... (laughs) She gets caught 
by the police because she published her own obituary in oh my paper. God. And the oh police God. couldn't verify the information because it wasn't real information because it was a fake person. Oh, my God. And then the police, being the only non-stupid people in this part of the story, at least, are like, oh, she faked her death to run from something. Maybe we should take a closer look at her. She didn't even successfully run. She faked her, like, she didn't successfully run from it. She faked her death and then came right back. As a twin sister. As a twin sister. There was no reason for her to fake her death. Absolutely none. I'm just going to go ahead out on a limb and say, if I ever marry someone who has a twin, and then they die, and then that twin shows up and just, like, inserts themselves into my life, I'm going to be pretty mad about that. Yes. Like, don't, no. You don't need to live in my house. No, thank you. No, thank you. I don't want a relationship with you. I assume if I've never seen the two of you in the same room together. Exactly. (laughs) Y'all aren't that close and you don't need to be part of my life either. Oh my gosh. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I know. Okay, so... She's faked her death. She's run from something. The police find her. They bring her in for questioning and she immediately confesses to being Audrey Marie Hilly. You mean Audrey's twin sister? (laughs) (laughs) Not quite, boys. You haven't quite quite caught me yet. Anyway, um, she got extradited back to Alabama for trial. Um, And because this whole story is just kind of nuts, they decided that it was a good idea to put her through some psychological testing. Oh, you think? She's competent to stand trial. There's well, nothing weird about her. She's no, just... there's plenty weird about her, but she's able to stand trial. <laughs> yeah, no, what they concluded was that the birth of her daughter just sort of set her off and made her absolutely crazy. Um, sure, I guess, whatever. <laughs> um, okay. And then there were other things that started to come out during the trial. Oh, no. Other details like there were a series of arson fires that just happened around her constantly in her home and the homes of the people that she was poisoning um and the neighbor kids were always really sick but nobody knew why and then they miraculously healed as soon as they moved away she wasn't just poisoning her own family she was poisoning the neighborhood yeah mr Um, rogers is so disappointed It also came out that when one of the, um, there were a couple of officers that came by to investigate one of the arsons, and she tried to poison them. (gasps) The balls on this woman. (laughs) Right? She was very quickly convicted. Yeah. That went real fast. Because really, who in their right minds would not convict this person? Oh. Um... She started serving her... like, she tried to poison the police. <laughs> what, the what do you do? What do you do? What do you, what leads you to that point in your life? I mean, I guess would you start? You might as well try. <laughs> Go for like... it. Sure, I guess. 
Oh um, my god. Okay. But anyway, she started serving her sentence in 1983. They convicted her. It was not a big deal. Um, but she was a model prisoner. And she was such a model prisoner. Oh, And she no. was on such good behavior. Oh, no. But they started giving her day passes. Because it's not like she has a history of running away or anything. Oh, my God. Oh my it's God. not like she does good things when left unsupervised. <sighs> what happened? Well, she came back enough times for them to just extend how long her day passes would, would go. Oh, my God. And then uh, eventually, when she was awarded a three-day pass out of prison for murdering people. <laughs> Does nobody read the files anymore? <laughs> I guess not. I don't know. I don't... Like, this just goes back to my... I was making a point a couple episodes ago of, like, at what point do you realize that someone's a murderer and I don't really care if they're well-behaved? <laughs> Listen, there's there's some intern at the prosecuting attorney's office going, are you fucking, you guys let her out? <laughs> like, just reading through these files, because that's what I did at the prosecuting attorney's office, is I just went through the files and was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> did you people read this? <laughs> um, so anyway, eventually on a three-day trip to go see her husband, the husband that she, uh, left died moved back in with as the twin sister oh that God. husband he had oh moved God. to alabama to be closer to her because he had the opportunity to get away from this woman and didn't take it my dude <laughs> you didn't even know when she like you didn't notice she was a the same person Why i know are you trying to make up for it now uh, um Anyway, he left her unsupervised during uh, part of this visit because, you know, he had to, like, run to the store or something. And then he came back to an apology note, and she had run away again. Oh, my God. Hey, at least she apologized. Yeah, totally. She's like, I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me. I just super don't want to go back to prison. Like, whatever. If my twin shows up again, just let her in. It's fine. (laughs) A triplet. We kept him in the basement. <laughs> you wouldn't have seen her. Listen, we just we didn't talk about her very much because she was kind of a bitch. But I guess if she shows up, she was a little bit of a bitch. But if she shows up, just go ahead and let her wear my clothes. <laughs> um. Anyway, so trying to make an escape in the middle of winter is not the smartest idea, even if you are in the South. Nope. Um, so she was gone for four days this time, and, uh, there was a report called in of a suspicious person, and the police went to go and find her, and then there she was, and she had been out exposed to the elements for four days because she didn't plan ahead. Um, and it had been raining for all four days, and it was cold rain, like it had gotten down to the low 30s. Ooh. Um... And she had just been sort of out in that for a couple of days. So she was severely hypothermic mm-hmm. and not in great condition. Um, and she was taken to the local hospital and she was alive, but the stress on her body was too much and she suffered a fatal heart attack. Oh. And that is the end of the story for Audrey Marie Hilly. That is wild. She's buried next to Frank because I guess fuck Frank. Oh no. Uh uh-uh. uh. 
Um, I would come. I would haunt everybody that made that decision. I would be, be like, so get angry. her ass away from me, right? Um, and Carol. I mean, Carol still has permanent nerve damage. Like she's just not in great shape. Oh, poor Carol. Um, and she suffers serious disabilities related to her arsenic poisoning. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the end of the greatest escape artist that that part of the country had seen in 10 years. <laughs> she couldn't figure out how to not be outside and died. <laughs> <laughs> after all that, after, after all that, you just sit in the rain. Uh-huh. You just go crawl around in the woods for a couple days. That's your plan. Oh, my God. Anyway. That's uh, insane. Right, so my sources were Wikipedia, The Malefactors Register, uh, The Great Escape Artist by Mark Gribben, uh, findagrave.com, Murderpedia, and The Black Widow's Quest for a Good Life Ends in a Lonely Death by James Nesbitt, which was published in the Orlando Sentinel. Nice. That's a good one. Thanks. I still can't get over the fact that, like... (laughs) Her husband, she showed up at his door and was like, so I'm her twin sister. You've never seen me before, but here I am. She's dead. My name's Terry. (laughs) I know I look like Robbie, but like, didn't she tell you she had a twin? I'm that twin. Hi. And he was like, oh shit, she's dead. (laughs) You're a fucking idiot. All right. Okay. (laughs) So my story is not as sensational as that. You started with a good one. My story is not twisty even... shit. Uh, I don't really know shit. what happened with that, but my story is not even a murder, but it is a mysterious death. Okay, I'm on board, and I think you'll like this because I know who you are as a person. <laughs> I love it when you start things that way. <laughs> Okay, so I'm I'm going to talk about the death of Edward John Smith. Okay. Edward John Smith was born January 27th, 1850 in Hanley, uh, Staffordshire, England. Uh, He was born to Edward Smith, a potter, and Catherine Hancock. He left at an early age to join the Merchant Navy and the Royal Royal Naval Reserve. Um, After earning his master's ticket, he entered the service of the White Star Line, which is a prestigious British shipping company. Mm -hmm. Uh, He quickly rose through the ranks and graduated in 1887. Uh, His first command was the SS Celtic. Uh, Not so fun fact, fun fact. The SS Celtic collided with the White Star Liner Britannica uh, about 350 miles east of Sandy Hook, New Jersey on May 19, 1887. Yes, uh, the Britannica was the sister ship to the Titanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it crashed, it was piloted. It wasn't piloted by Smith. It was piloted by Captain Peter John Irving. So he wasn't the captain when the Britannica crashed. Okay. In 1888, Smith earned his extra master's certification and joined the Royal Naval Reserve, uh, receiving a commission as a lieutenant. He retired from the Royal Navy in 1905 with the rank of commander. Uh, Smith also served as commanding officer for numerous other White Star Line vessels. Uh, in 1895, Smith became the captain of the Majestic, serving for serving as the captain for about nine years. 
when the um, Boer, I think, war started in 1899, Majestic was called upon to transport troops to Cape Colony. Smith successfully successfully made two trips to South Africa, and in 1903, King Edward VII awarded him the Transport Medal for his service. Okay. In the eyes of the king and all who knew him, Smith was considered a quote-unquote safe captain. In fact, there were some passengers that would only sail the Atlantic if they knew that Smith was the ship's captain. That's how safe he was considered. Okay. From 1904 on, Smith commanded the White Star Line's newest ship on their maiden voyages, including the Baltic, which uh, at the time was considered the largest ship in the world. Uh, He successfully sailed the Baltic for three years and was then given the Adriatic, uh, which was the new biggest ship. Again, he sailed without incident, or without incident. Uh, at this point, he was considered one of the world's most experienced captains, so he was given command of the Olympic. Mm. It was with the Olympic that Smith's near spotless record took a hit. See, on our, on September twentieth, nineteen eleven, the Olympic collided with a British warship HMS Hawk, in which the warship lost her prow. Although the collision left two of uh, Olympic's compartments filled and one of her propeller shafts twisted, she was able to limp back to Southampton. As a result, uh, or as an inquiry resulted from this, the Royal Navy blamed the Olympic, finding that her massive size generated a suction that pulled the hawk into her size. So that's how big these uh, starship liners were, was it it created a suction and pulled a warship into it. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, fun fact, fun fact, um, the fact that the Olympic didn't sink during Mm -hmm. that collision was part of what led to the Titanic being thought to be unsinkable. And look where that's gotten us. Exactly. Captain Smith had been on the bridge of the Olympic during the events. Uh, And then in 1912, Smith made his last voyage as the captain of the RMS Titanic on its maiden voyage. Mm, okay. <laughs> I knew you would like this because you love plane accidents. <laughs> Holy shit, I do. Listen, I, like, I don't think it. you understand how obsessed I am with Titanic. <laughs> I, during my freshman year of high school, watched the Titanic every night. <laughs> and eventually when I started, I, I changed my name to Rose for a year. <laughs> I love you so much. Not even shitting you. You'll like this then. Oh my god, I'm so excited. This is, what I'm going to tell you is all about Smith's last voyage and what happened to him. We all know what happened to the Titanic. What happened to Smith particularly is a little iffy. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So despite the past trouble with the new ocean liner, Smith was appointed to command the newest ship in the Olympic class. Like its sister, Titanic was to leave Southampton on her maiden voyage to New York. On the 10th of April, 1912, Smith came aboard the Titanic at 7 a.m. to prepare for the Board of Trade um, at 8 a.m., which I guess is just they were looking over the ship. Mm -hmm. Uh, He immediately went to his cabin to get the sailing report from Chief Officer Henry Wilde. After departure at noon... 
the huge amount of water displaced by the Titanic as she passed caused a laid up New York, uh, caused the laid up New York, which is the ship name, not the state, uh, to break from her moorings and swing towards the Titanic. So again, these are huge ships and it creates such a disruption that it caused another ship to, uh, almost collide with her. Yeah. Uh, quick action from Smith helped to avert a premature end to the maiden voyage. So he managed to avoid this ship. Uh, one disaster avoided, uh, but we all know how the Titanic ended. So one more to go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the first four days of the voyage passed without incident. But on the 14th of April, 1912, Titanic's radio operators received six messages from other ships warning of drifting ice, which passengers on the Titanic had begun to notice during the afternoon. Despite being aware of the danger, the crew did not reduce the ship's speed and continued to steam at about 25 miles per hour. Fun fact, so it was about 22 knots, so 25 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. So 22 knots was only two knots short of the Titanic's maximum speed of 24 knots or 28 miles per hour. So they were going full speed ahead. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, this speed and waters where ice had been reported was later criticized as reckless, but it reflected standard maritime practice at the time. According to uh, Fifth Officer Harold Lowe, the custom was to, quote, go ahead and depend upon the lookouts in the crow's nest and the watch on the bridge to pick up the ice uh, at the time to avoid hitting it. Uh, this may have been because the North Atlantic liners prioritized timekeeping above all other considerations. They stuck rigidly to a schedule, so uh, slowing down to avoid this ice was just unheard of. Absolutely. I mean, you said yourself the White Star Line was absolutely one of the most prestigious and being you know, wrapped up in that is timing. Exactly. Uh, plus, at the time, it was widely believed that ice posed little risk. Close calls weren't uncommon and even head on collisions hadn't been disastrous up until this point. Uh, in 1907, for example, the SS Kronprinz Wilhelm, a German liner, had rammed into an iceberg and suffered a crushed bow, but was still able to complete her voyage. So the, the ice really wasn't looked at as this huge risk going forward. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, the same year as the uh, Wilhelm, Smith himself had uh, declared in an interview that he could, quote, not imagine any condition which would cause a ship to founder, modern shipbuilding having gone beyond all that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we all know how that turned out. <laughs> exactly. So it's shortly fine. after 11.40 p.m. on the 14th of April, Smith was informed by his first officer, William Murdoch, that the ship had just collided with an iceberg. Shortly after, the ship's designer, Thomas Andrews, reported that all of the first five of the ship's watertight compartments had been breached and that the Titanic would sink in under two hours. Mm-hmm. you imagine getting that news as, as a captain? Hey, we have two hours to evacuate all these people. That seems like a serious issue. And, like, yeah. my God, I've spent so much time on the Titanic. But, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was just, this was something that was so completely unfathomable. Mm -hmm. Like, you would have been lax in your training for this. You would have been... <laughs> You know, they were super ill-equipped for this. There was nothing that they could have 
Nope. So we all know what happened to the Titanic. There's a very long, beautifully produced movie that includes Leonardo DiCaprio, which is the best decision Spielberg's ever made. Absolutely. Thanks, James Cameron. (laughs) The mystery is what happened to Captain Smith. See, there are conflicting reports of Smith's actions during the evacuation. Some say he did all in his power to prevent panic and did his best to assist in the evacuation. Major Arthur Godfrey uh, of the Royal Canadian Yacht Club reported that, quote, he was doing everything in his power to get women in these boats and to see that they were lowered properly. I thought he was doing his duty in regard to lowering the boats. Robert mm-hmm. William Daniels, or Robert Williams Daniel, uh, a first-class passenger, also stated Captain Smith was the biggest hero I ever saw. He stood on the bridge and shouted through the megaphone, trying to make himself heard. Despite all this, other sources say that he was very ineffective and inactive in presenting a, or preventing loss of life. Captain Smith was an experienced seaman who had served for about 40 years at sea, including 27 years in command. This was the first crisis of his career. He went to war, and this was the first crisis of his career. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have known what to do, even if all of the boats were on board. So uh, with all of the boats occupied, there were more than a thousand people that would remain on the ship when she went down with little to no chance of survival. And he knew this. He would have known this. Mm -hmm. So presumably Smith began to grasp the enormity of what was about to happen. And he appeared to be completely paralyzed by indecision. He had ordered passengers and crew to muster. But from that point onward, he didn't adequately organize the crew. He failed to convey crucial information to his officers. He sometimes gave ambiguous or impractical orders, and he never gave the command to abandon ship, which is huge. Yeah. Even some of his bridge officers were unaware for some time after the collision that the ship was even sinking. That seems like a problem. Mm-hmm. Fourth officer Joseph Boxhall did not find out until 1.15 a.m., barely an hour before the ship went down. Ooh, that's not good. Quartermaster George Rowe was so unaware of the emergency that after the evacuation had started, he phoned the bridge from his watch station to ask why he had just seen a lifeboat go by. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. In addition, Smith didn't inform his officers that the ship did not have enough lifeboats and made seemingly no effort to find out if his orders were being followed. So, yeah, he stood on the bridge and shouted at people through a microphone, but that was about it. Hmm. Okay. (laughs) So just minutes before the ship started its final plunge, Smith was still busy releasing the Titanic's crew from their duties. He went to the Marconi operator's room, uh, released junior uh, Marconi officer Harold Bride and senior wireless operator John Jack Phillips from their duties, and then carried out a final tour of the deck telling crew members, quote, now it's every man for himself. At 2.10 a.m., steward Edward Brown said he saw the captain approach with a megaphone in hand. He heard him say, well, boys, do your best for the women and children and look out for yourselves. He then saw the captain walk onto the bridge alone, and that was the last reliable sighting of Smith. So a few minutes later, Trimmer, 
Samuel Hemming found the bridge apparently empty. Five minutes later, the ship disappeared beneath the ocean. Now, Smith perished. We know that as a fact, along with uh, around 1,500 other people, and his body was never recovered. Now, while he did definitely sink, how he sunk is up for debate. Some survivors say they saw Smith enter the ship's wheelhouse on the bridge and die there as if it was engulfed. The New York Herald, in its uh, April 19, 1912 edition, quoted Robert William Daniel, uh, who jumped from the stern immediately before the ship sank, who claimed to have witnessed Captain Smith drown in the ship's wheelhouse. He said, quote, I saw Captain Smith on the bridge. My eyes seemingly clung to him. The deck from which I had leapt was immersed. The water had risen slowly and was now to the floor of the bridge. Then it was to Captain Smith's waist. I saw him no more. He died a hero. And Smith had made statements hinting that he would go down with his ship if he was ever confronted with disaster. A friend of Smith's, Dr. Williams, asked Captain Smith what would happen if uh, the Adriatic struck a concealed reef of ice and was badly damaged. Smith replied, some of us would go to the bottom with the ship. A boyhood friend, William Jones, said Ted Smith passed away just as he would have loved to. To stand on the bridge of his vessel and go down with her was characteristic of all his actions when we were boys together. That, I mean, not like I'm an expert or anything, but that just seems so in line with everything that I know about him. Mm Mm-hmm. When working to free a collapsible bee, junior Marconi officer Harold Bride said he saw Captain Smith dive from the bridge into the sea just as collapsible bee was uh, was levered off the roof of the officer's quarters, uh, a story corroborated by first passenger Mrs. Eleanor Windener, who was in lifeboat number four which was the closest to the sinking, sinking ship at the time. So there's reports that he went into the wheelhouse and stayed in the wheelhouse and went down with the ship, which, like you said, goes with what most of us know, and it's how it was depicted in Titanic, I believe. But then there's these reports that he dove into the uh, ocean as well. Also, second-class passenger William John Mellers, who survived uh, aboard collapsible B, stated that Smith jumped from the bridge. So now you have three people stating that they saw him jump from the bridge. Mm-hmm. Several accounts say that Smith may have been seen in the water near the overturned collapsible B during or after the sinking. Colonel Archibald Gracie reported that an unknown swimmer came near the capsized and overcrowded lifeboat and that one of the men on board told him, quote, hold on to what you have, old boy, one more aboard and you will sink us all. In a powerful voice, the swimmer replied, all right, boys, good luck and God bless you. Gracie didn't see the man, nor was he able to identify him, but other survivors at the time claimed to recognize the man as Smith. Another mm-hmm. man, uh, or possibly the same, never asked to come aboard the boat, but instead cheered its occupants saying, good boys, good lads, with a voice of authority. Okay, that's creepy. And another story, one of Collapsible survivors, Fireman Walter Hurst, tried to reach this man with an oar, but the rapidly rising swell carried the man away before he could reach him. 
Hearst said he was certain the man was uh, Smith. Uh, some of these accounts also described Smith carrying a child to the boat. Uh, Harry Sr., one of Titanic's stokers, and second-class passenger Charles Eugene Williams, who both survived aboard Collapsible B, stated that Smith swam with a child in his arms to Collapsible B, which Smith presented to a steward, um, after which he apparently swam back to the rapidly foundering ship. Williams' accounts differ slightly, claiming that after Smith handed the child over to the steward, he asked what had become of First Officer Murdoch. Upon hearing of Murdoch's demise, Smith, quote, pushed himself away from the lifeboat, threw his life belt from him, and slowly, slank, sank from our, uh, slowly sank from our sight. He did not come to the surface mm. again. And that are the different, those are the differing accounts of his death. Now, he is honored because uh, there are some hero accounts of what had happened uh, on the Titanic. So he is honored for his heroic duties, but it's up to you to decide, was he a hero? Was he ineffective? Did he go down with the ship or did he try and save himself and just wasn't able to? Or did he maybe have a secret identical twin? <laughs> <laughs> So all of this yes. can be true. Named Smoth. Yes. <laughs> this is this is my twin Smoth. <laughs> oh my god, that would be great. But that is the mysterious death of uh Captain Smith, the captain of the RMS Titanic. Why should I love you for doing this? This is so exciting. <laughs> Thank you. I really thought it was very interesting. And I know it's not a murder. Uh, we know what happened to the Titanic. It was definitely an accident. It wasn't a, an, a murder. Um, but I don't know. It's an interesting death. And the fact that we don't yeah. know exactly how he went to. Yeah. When, honestly, when you told me that you were going to do a mysterious death, I'm like, oh, is she going to do the Adelaide man? This is so much better. <laughs> no, I was. I, I found it... Um, because I look up so much of this shit on the internet, Facebook is just like top ten most mysterious deaths. And I'm like, all right, Facebook, you need to calm down. But yes, please give me these top ten most mysterious deaths. Mm -hmm. And this was one of them. So yeah, I thought this was really interesting. Oh god, it is. And yes, thank you. All of my sources, uh, I only used one source. It was um, Wikipedia. After I had found it on in that list, Wikipedia really had all of the information. I did look it up in uh, different sources, but they said the same thing. So mm -hmm. awesome. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> no problem. I knew you'd love this one. I was like, oh my God, this is right up Julia's alley. <laughs> so excited. <laughs> but think about it. I mean, he he really hadn't had an incident. There was that one on the, uh, I, th I believe it was the Adriatic, but he really didn't have any incidents. And then for this to be right? his last voyage. Seriously. And like you don't expect. And it's impossible really to say, even with the amount of training that you have, and even with yeah. the amount of like crisis preparation that you have, you don't know how you're going to react in a crisis until you're in it. You know, it's mm -hmm. so hard to say. And people, you know, they flip sometimes. Like they are true to the core and stalwart and sturdy. And, you know, they're very just... Uh, and then like they have a situation where they panic and then they just lose everything or they turn completely into like a personified version of themselves 
and are like yeah. even more, you know, grounded and able to function. So like I have no idea what this guy could have done. And it's just well, like also like in this instance, like the Titanic was woefully underprepared for anything like this. They run enough lifeboats. Oh yeah, it was poorly built, and it was poorly built because they kept taking parts from it to fix the Olympic. Seriously, and um, honestly, I know that it's been disproven, but it's super fun. Uh, Conspiracies and Cryptids has an episode on the Titanic, um, and you guys should go listen to them. Because it's such a fun conspiracy episode of like, was the Titanic actually the Titanic or was it the Olympic? So like, was it the Olympic? I've heard that conspiracy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, oh, uh, oh god, it's so good. Anyway, there's so much to the Titanic. There is. That's just so interesting. It's such a rich story, and there's so much lore around it, and it's so cool, mm-hmm. and I love it so much. So this is just a little snippet that you can add to all the things you know about the Titanic. Thank you. What happened to her captain? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no problem. Thank you for your wild tale. It was weird. It was weird. It was real weird. <laughs> I wonder where she found that man. Where do you find one that just is that willing to go along with whatever? I want to know what his limit is. Like, at what point does he nope out? So how unobservant can you be? And this is coming from me, who is the most unobservant person (laughs) on the face of this planet. But if my dead spouse showed up at my door with a bad dye job and just went, I'm her her twin sister, Tessa. Like, (laughs) no. (laughs) Get in here. Quit being stupid. (laughs) Right. All right. Well, I think that about does it for us. Um. You can find us on social media or at W-I-Y-H-T on Twitter. We're at What's In Your Hometown on Instagram. You can write into us at What's In Your Hometown at gmail.com. You can find us wherever you find the civilized creatures. Uh, we're around. They're around. Please come look for us and send us things. Please come look for us. <laughs> we love it when you send us things. And we are reading them. We promise we are reading them. And we do plan for everyone that has sent in a story. We are planning to incorporate them into uh, later episodes. Absolutely. We're just, um, we're, I wouldn't call us slacking right now because we're very busy with the rest of our lives. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, holidays are kind of a difficult time to get together and coordinate yeah. schedules. So we will be back um as soon as we can i don't know when but as soon as we can with an urban legend and then another murder and then another urban legend and then another murder it's gonna be real fun we'll continue on we'll ride on to the sunset just like in the princess bride but with urban legends and murders exactly which is the only way to make the princess bride better it really is that it's a perfect movie (laughs) i love that movie anyway okay if you haven't seen The Princess Bride, do yourself a favor and watch a piece of, like, cinema masterpiece. Right? It has something for everyone. So it really good. does. <laughs> all right. Uh, I guess that all that leaves is with all the crazy, messed up, weird shit in the world. Mm-hmm. You have got to wonder. What's in your hometown? <laughs> Bye. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.